You are now listening to The Nosebleeds with your hosts, Corey Johnson and Kush Parikh. Be sure to check us out weekly on Tuesdays on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Follow us on social media to stay up to date with the podcast on Twitter at the underscore nosebleeds. That's K-N-O-W-S bleeds on Instagram at the nosebleeds and on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash the nosebleeds. Face all your fears, drink it at me. It's so many donuts on them back streets. Sit so high in the nosebleeds. Feel like I can fly. Yo, what up, everybody? Welcome back to the Nosebleeds Podcast. That's K-N-O-W-S Bleeds. It's your boy. You already know it's your boy, Kush. And I'm here with my co-host, as always, Mr. Corey Johnson. Corey in the house, as always, my guy. How are you doing? Yes, sir. Good to be back on the show. Good to be talking some sports with my guy, Kush. And we got a lot to get into, man. A lot going on, a lot going on. So let's jump right in. Let's start off with baseball because we have not talked about the MLB probably since like the opening week, opening month. So <laughs> let's get into <laughs> it. Let's talk about, you know, some of our midseason awards that we want to give out just uh, some of the players that we think are deserving of these awards um, up to the halfway point. So let's start off with rookie of the year in the American League. Who do you have? In the American League, I got to go with the dude from the Texas Rangers, Aldis Garcia. Uh, pretty much, I think he's been the standout as far as American League rookies goes. Uh, I think he's been pretty much the best rookie out of everybody in the American League so far, to be honest with you. And I think that's pretty much why I think the Texas Rangers ultimately ended up shipping off Joey Gallo because they feel like they got themselves a stud in this young prospect here and this guy who they feel like that could be maybe potentially the face of their of their franchise right now yeah i'm right there i got a dolos garcia as well too in his rookie season made the all-star team top 15 in home runs and rbis and to be honest there's no real candidate for al rookie of the year other than him because he's kind of running away with it could have been nick madrigal but i still would have had a dolos garcia over him and uh nick madrigal is out for the season with a torn hamstring Let's move on to the National League. I'm going to go with Trevor Rogers from the Marlins. Uh, he's having a hell of a season in his first full season, and he made the All-Star team top fives in ERA with the sub 2.5 ERA, and he is one of the only bright spots for the Marlins this season. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I think Trevor Rogers has been tremendous. I think he kind of got off to a really bit of a shaky start, but he's kind of sitting in his own um and i think you know you look at that wins loss record and kind of be kind of can get a little bit deceiving because you know obviously he is playing on the miami marlins but at the same time i think he's he's been he's been a stud dude he's been really good for them so far and i'm I'm interested to see what he does in the second half of the season can he keep this up and can he still you know stick to pitching the way he's been pitching so far yeah only 23 years old so bright spot in the Marlins franchise. Let's move on to manager of the year, American League. Who do you have? I'm going to go with Alex Cora with the Boston Red Sox. I mean, it's crazy enough to think about it, but it was only three years ago where the Boston Red Sox were considered the best team in baseball. And then they had that that scandal come out. And then they look as if they were maybe, you know, looking like they were going to have a, you know, a long rebuild that they had to get rid of uh, Mookie Betts. But hey, I mean, 
I don't know if it's just affected the Boston Red Sox or just, you know, a team that seems to just know what they're doing, a franchise that knows what they're doing. But Alex Cora, they, you know, brought him back as the manager after despite all the things that happened with the whole Astros scandal. And then it just seems like this has been a match made in heaven with him in the Red Sox because he comes back in and what do you know? What do you think of it? Despite all the experts and even myself and, you know, all the guys that we predicted the Red Sox, I think, to finish no higher than fourth in the in, a, in the AL East. Um, they're the top team, not only in the AL East, but the whole entire of baseball. So the Red Sox have been looking really, really good. Uh, even though on paper, you look at the guys that they got in there and they're, you know, nothing really heavily stands out outside of maybe uh, Xander Bogarts. But I think that the Red Sox have been the best team in baseball. And I think that's a, uh, has to be deserving of a praise for Alex Cora. Yeah, absolutely. I remember everyone was talking about the Yankees and the Blue Jays fighting for that top spot in the AL East. And now it's the Red Sox and the Rays. Uh, everyone was predicting that they were going to kind of have a drop off and it was going to maybe be a rebuilding year for them. But those two teams are battling for the number one spot in the division. But the Red Sox are winning. Uh, and it's crazy to say they're doing this without their ace and Chris Sale, who is coming back soon, should be in about a week or two, he'll be back in that rotation making his start. So it's crazy just because this uh, lineup is insane, especially with their three-headed monster of Xander Bogart, Rafael Devers, and J.D. Martinez. They've definitely helped the Red Sox to the best record in the American League. Moving on to the National League Manager of the Year, I got to go with Gabe Kepler from the Giants. And like the AL uh, East, the NL West, that was going to be one of the craziest, most thrilling race between the Dodgers and the Padres. And we said the Giants might get hot here and there, but most likely won't make the playoffs. But here we are. They're leading arguably the toughest division in the entire majors with two star studded teams in the Dodgers and the Padres. And they have the best record in the entire major league. So it's crazy to see what Gabe Kepler is being able to do. I mean, it also helps when Buster Posey is looking like old MVP Buster Posey (laughs) and playing like the best catcher in the league. And then obviously you have, the two-headed monster of Kevin Gossman and Anthony Discalfani, who are having Cy Young type of seasons. And I feel like, in my opinion, they're barely even being talked about this season. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Gabe Kepler and the Giants have been tremendous. And like you said, no one really expected this out of them. But my thing, Kush, is that uh, it's kind of crazy that the Giants are kind of doing this in an odd year. Usually they get hot in even years in years past. So uh, the fact that they're doing it in uh, 2021 is uh, a new decade. It's a new decade. It's a new era for the Giants. So, I mean, who knows? But, yeah, just like you mentioned, they've really gotten uh, a big boost. And I think uh, maybe they – try to make maybe try to swing a move here or there uh before the deadline comes but you know we'll see possibly let's move on to Cy Young American League who do you have I'm gonna go with the dude who I have not been able to stop taking my eyes off of ever since he threw a no-hitter earlier this season that's Carlos Rendon Carlos Rendon for me uh got off to such a hot start in the first half of the season I did not think that this dude was going to be performing the way he was performing. He was undefeated. Um, He had a sub one ERA. um, And then he got a little bit into some trouble, had a little bit of hiccup starts here and there. But ultimately, I think this guy has been, you know, arguably the best pitcher in the American League so far. I mean, obviously, you know, you got Lance Lynn. You can maybe even throw Garrett Cole in there. But I think as far as from the first half of the season, if you would have told me, like, Carlos Rodon would have been the uh, the best 
you know, one of the best pitchers, I would have been like, nah, I don't think so. But I think he has really shown ever since he threw that no hitter that he's deserving of being on the map. And that kind of put his name back in, uh, in uh, the national media of MLB. And I think that if he continues to have this stellar season, he has to, I think, be rewarded with the Cy Young. Yeah, Rodon is definitely having a great season, but I'm going to go with his teammate. You mentioned him, Lance Lynn, uh, putting up crazy numbers right now, and he's doing it again in a different uniform because he's played on five teams in his 10-year career. And in my opinion, I think he is one of the more underappreciated pitchers in all of baseball. He had solid seasons when he was with the Cardinals, and he kind of dropped off, and then last season had a resurgence with the Rangers got traded to the to the White Sox, and now he is just going insane. He leads the American League in ERA, he's top 15 in wins and whip. So I, if he can keep putting these numbers up, I don't see why he doesn't win and walk away with the Cy Young Award. Moving on to the National League, I don't think there's any debate here. It's, it's <laughs> Jacob DeGrom. I mean, despite missing a few games with his forearm tightness, he is still absolutely unbelievable. Leads the league in ERA, has a 14.3 strikeout per nine and a 0.55 whip. And that's that's numbers we haven't even heard of since Bob Gibson back in the day. And it's crazy. He's even doing it with the bat as well, too. The, yeah, the yeah. shortstop converted a pitcher is still has can still do it with the stick, and he is having an historic, historic year up until his injury. If his injury isn't as bad as it potentially could be, because it is forearm tightness, and you know it's kind of a scary thing if that's what you start hearing. Um, but I, I, I can definitely see him continuing his ways, and uh, he's actually seven and two this year, which is impressive, just because I feel like he always has a low ERA every single year. But that win loss ratio is never good, just because the Mets can never get runs. But he's actually has a good a record with seven and two. So I think if he comes back healthy and he can still perform or even do half of what he did in that first half of the season, I think he could win the Cy Young and maybe even MVP too. It's funny that you mentioned that because he actually is not only my Cy Young, but he's also my MVP. Um, he's been tremendous. And the Mets, I think, would probably be still a good team if they didn't have him. But with them, they're just one of the best teams, I think. And they're a team that you cannot underestimate because Jacob DeGrom is going to do his part. He's going to make sure that he keeps zeros on the board and he's going to make sure that he keeps his team within a fighting chance of winning the game. It's just like you said, because it's that run support. And hey, to his credit, you know, when he's not getting the run support, he's trying to make stuff happen with the stick, too. So, mm-hmm. I mean, hey, like he is his doubt, own run support. When in doubt, you got to If you want something, if you want the job done, you got to do it yourself. And that's what Jacob DeGrom is going out there and doing. And so I think, man, it's going to be a heck of a season. And I think I even said it like before the season started, I felt like the Mets had the chance of usurping the Yankees in New York. So, I mean, like, you were it's, definitely it's all so, aboard. It's so, you know, hey, who's to know? Like, resurgence could happen for the Yankees. It's not over yet. You know, they still got a long ways to go. But so far, the Mets have been the best team in in the NY so far. And you said you got him as MVP as well? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, it was a tough choice. But I think just because DeGrom, you know, he's having that record-breaking season. But – at that injury it kind of just messed with him and that's why i gotta go with fernando tatis jr 
remind you, he's only 22 years old and he is putting up monster, monster numbers. The reason why I'm going with Tatis as well is because he's been 19 games so far this season and is still number one in home runs in the National League, number one in runs, number one in stolen bases, number one in OPS, and number three in RBIs. Well, I'm missing 19 games. So, and he he's, you know, on pace for a 40-40 season, which only a select few have been able to do so. I mean, just to think, if he had those 19 games back, what his stats would be looking like right now. So, Could I mean, 50 and 50 guy, who knows? I mean, we've never seen that ever. So, <laughs> that's in, but we'll see. It's a little tough to do, though, in today's game. But I, I, it, the only knock on him this season is he's been a pretty poor fielder. He's made a, I, I don't know. He has to be top three, top five in the majors with errors. He's just making some bad plays. But I mean, he still makes those absolutely amazing place at the same time too that the announcers and and major league fans go nuts over so and plus he has he, i think he has the most swagger in the game so that's a bonus point for him for his mvp <laughs> race but that's who i got american league who do you have i'm gonna give a big shout out to kush's boy shohei otani man otani son gotta give a shout out to shohei otani i feel like you know if you don't know anything about this season, you for sure know about Shohei Otani because he's been literally the starlet of MLB this entire season. You can't go this entire season without hearing someone mention the dude's name because they're mentioning his name alongside the greats like Babe Ruth. So, I mean, like the dude is just not only doing it with the bat, but also is doing it with the glove and mentioning with the bat the dude's on pace to have 40 maybe even 50 home runs this season so i'm like yo if he if he's on pace to have if he hits the 50 mark of home runs he's definitely getting that mvp it's definitely possible because he's already at 36 and we still got a while's away to go but yeah i'm right there with you i got otani son as well but first of all i want to no disrespect to vladdy jr just because Vladdy Jr. is having an absolutely amazing season, but if it wasn't for Otani, Vladdy <laughs> Jr. would be the AL MVP frontrunner. But what Otani's been doing is stuff we haven't seen, like you mentioned, since Babe Ruth. And he's even exceeding what Babe Ruth did at the plate when Babe Ruth was a pitcher. So it's crazy because he's leading the league in home runs third in RBIs and second in OPS. And he is absolutely tearing the cover off the ball. But like we mentioned in previous episodes, we even made a video about it. Hitting is not the concern for Otani because we know he could do it. Pitching was the biggest inconsistency for Otani throughout his entire MLB career. But this season, he is pitching at an all-star level, 5-1, and one, almost 3 ERA, and a 1.13 whip, and 11.3 strikeouts per nine. And I have to say, he has probably the nastiest, nastiest splitter I have seen, especially this year. I mean, Kevin Gossman's giving a run for his money, but yeah, it, he's he's going crazy. So add his pitching stats to what he's doing with the bat. And I mean, that's a MVP written all over it. So midseason MVP for sure. And I think he's a clear cut runner for the end of the season MVP as well. But only time will tell. Let's talk about the main buzz going on in the MLB now, and that is the trade deadline. We've already had some pretty big trades happening, and we're still about a day and a half away from the trade deadline. So let's talk about the biggest one that's probably happening. That is Joey Gallo going from the Rangers to the Yankees for four prospects. And then we had Eduardo Escobar, third baseman from the Diamondbacks, going to the Brewers for two infield prospects. 
And then we had Starling Marte outfielder for the Marlins going to the Oakland Athletics for Jesus Lazardo. And that we had Kendall Graveman going to the Astros from the Mariners. Uh, Mariners got Abraham Toro and Joe Smith. And then Adam Frazier to the Padres. The Padres received or the Padres gave up three prospects. And one of them was in San Diego's top five. So and San Diego's has a great, great farm system. So definitely maybe something the Pirates could work for because they're full on selling. We, we saw it even before the season started. They were selling everybody. <laughs> And then Nelson Cruz to the Tampa Bay Rays and the fine wine just gets traded for two top 20 pitching prospects in the twin or in the Rays organization go to the twins. So out of these trades or maybe any other trade I didn't met mention, which has been the most intriguing so far? Well, I think, you know, anytime the Yankees make a midseason acquisition for anybody, that's probably going to be like the, the high point of it all. And I think it's interesting that the Yankees decided that, they were going to go ahead and get more run support. And I think one of the things that you look at with the Yankees, their biggest struggle has been a mixture of the fact that they're struggling because if they're not hitting home runs, if they're not hitting that long ball, then they're struggling as far as generating a whole lot of offense. Um, but on the same token, you could say that they definitely need some more pitching help. So I feel like it's going to be interesting to figure out how do you fit in Joey Gallo into that lineup when, you know, you got a lot of guys who on paper should be doing the job and you have a lot of you know guys who should be able to generate plenty of run support. It's just, they haven't been going out and executing. Um, another one I think is going to be pretty intriguing is that Starling Marte trade to the A's because I feel like the uh, Oakland A's, like every year, they just always seep under the radar. Even though they're always in contention to win the division, they always seep under the radar. But I think their big their big thing this year is that they want to actually win in the playoffs. They want to have that playoff success. And we all know, like, if, if you want to get through and you want to win a, a series, then you definitely need guys who – can play good defense who can get on base and who are able to um, just create um, some sort of offense and generate runs. And I think that's something that Starling Marks, they can definitely do with Oakland because uh, on the contrary, like more, more often than not with the, the A's, they have good pitching. It's just that they struggle sometimes to generate offense because they don't really hit a whole lot of home runs um, in their franchise's history but they just know how to get on base <laughs> a la Billy Bean. But <laughs> I just think that uh, going into the second half of the season, um, seeing what happens before the deadline and maybe a few more moves are still going to be on the way. Like uh, we'll get into it, like with the, the, the Cubs trio, Chris Bryant, Javi Baez, Anthony Rizzo. I think whoever lands, you know, maybe those one of those three guys and maybe uh, a pitching, uh, a top pitcher on the block, that's going to be a tremendous going into uh, the second half of the season. Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, it's got to be the one you just mentioned, that's Starling Marte to the A's. He's having a hell of a season, and it's crazy to see what the Marlins did because they traded for him last year, and then they flipped him. And I think the crazy thing, yeah, Starling Marte went to the A's, and he's going to help them. We all know that. But the fact that the Marlins got Jesus Lazardo. I think that's very underrated. He's only 23, a very promising player, throws gas and is filthy. Left-handed pitcher. He has struggled the past two seasons, but he is under team control for another five years after this season. So a guy who's only 23, you still have him for five years after this season. 
and he has potential through the roof. I think the Marlins have been very successful with some of their young pitchers, like we've seen with Trevor Rogers, Sixo Sanchez. Um, so, I mean, to unload an expiring contract in Starling Marte and then to get a player with six years under team control is a solid, solid return. And then Starling Marte definitely going to help that outfield for the Oakland A's and 22 stolen bases this season, which is second most in the entire league. So that's definitely going to help because honestly, there's maybe outside of Ramon Luriano, there's really nobody who's a threat on the base pads when they get on base. So that's definitely going to help out the Oakland A's to keep pitchers on their toes. So since the trade deadline is not over yet, there still are some very, very big names that could get traded. And I think the biggest one of them all is Max Scherzer. He's rumored that he might end up on an NL West team. The Dodgers, Padres, Giants all have a chance to acquire the Nationals ace. And he's having one of the best seasons of his career. 7-4, 2.83 ERA, a sub one whip and over 12 strikeouts per nine and he's 36 he's doing this at the age of 36 mad max is going crazy and then you have the trio like Corey mentioned chris bryant javi baez and anthony rizzo in my opinion i think two out of those three might get traded and my guess is chris bryant and anthony rizzo and then you have another cubs player and that is craig kimbrell one of the best closers in the majors right now and uh, honestly the only reason why he's on the trade block is because this team's trying to sell and it's hitting the full rebuild button 33 years old and is on pace for his best year of his career um and then we have eric cosmer after that adam frazier trade i think jake cronenworth's going to move to to first base so most likely that means the Marlins or the Padres are going to part ways with him, especially because they gave him that crazy expensive eight-year contract in 2018. So it's looking like an ugly contract right now. So I think a change of scenery for both Hosmer and the Padres could be beneficial. And then you have other guys like Jose Barrios and Trevor Story, and there's a lot of other guys on the trade block. But out of those guys I mentioned, or you know maybe ones that I didn't mention, who is the most intriguing intriguing player on the trade block? I think it's Max uh, Scherzer just because of the fact that um, he was willing to, you know, waive as essentially, a, you know, his non-trade clause essentially because he was open to now being traded. Um, it just kind of shows you that uh, the Nationals are willing to give up such a high commodity and such a, a massive asset of theirs at this point in time and the season in this point in time. Uh, I think if any team is able to get them, whether it be the Padres or the Dodgers, like you mentioned, Kush, I think that that would really be almost like a huge game changer as far as the season goes and could be the momentum builder that they need going into the second half of the season. Because if you look at the Dodgers, especially um, their pitching has been really streaking and up and down this entire season. And they could definitely use a guy like Max Scherzer. Um, meanwhile, you look at it, you know, maybe some other contending teams as well around the league. And I think they could also use a guy like Max Scherzer, but another name that I think could be used as bait to maybe lure in a, a top player is like you said, Eric Hosmer. I mean, if the Padres can maybe use him and involve him in a trade and maybe throw in maybe another prospect, the sky's the limit for what they can maybe land back. Cause that, that's a huge, that's a huge get, uh, to get back. And that's a, that's a lot of, uh, uh, potential that they could use to be able to, you know, and again, what's crazy about San Diego is the fact that they are no stranger to making midseason trades. Like they made like a ton of midseason trades last year and they were really going all in chips, all in to go ahead and try and uh, upset the Dodgers and win a world series last year. So they know that they got to get through 
LA and maybe even they might have to get to the Giants in order to win a World Series this year or even just to con- contend for a World Series this year. So if they want to do that, I think they know that they got to make sure that they're not holding back at all because we saw how quickly things can turn around. I mean, just look at the Cubs. We'll go from being World Series winners and contenders back in 2016 and then five years later they're already like selling off a big piece of their their team their their big uh three and brian and Baez and rizzo all on the trading block like it's just crazy how fast things can turn around yeah absolutely i think scherzer is the big name and plus his teammate trey turner that i forgot to mention he's having a hell of a season but currently has covid so he's going to be out for a while but i'm going to say craig kimbrell I think one of the best, if not the best closer in the majors right now, 33 years old, like I mentioned, but he has a sub 0.5 ERA, 23 saves so far, 0.71 whip, and he's striking out 15.7 strikeouts per nine innings. So he is absolutely going off and he seems unhittable uh, this season. And the thing is, is he has a club option for next season as well too, worth $16 million. So Team control as of next year, and I think a team that could definitely use a guy like Craig Kimbrell is a team like the Dodgers. I think they can definitely mm. use Craig Kimbrell in their bullpen, especially if if they don't want to go after Max Scherzer or if they strike out with him because, I mean, any pitching is good pitching for the Dodgers. And, you know, that when it comes to the, to the postseason, pitching is everything that matters. So having a guy like Craig Kimbrell in the bullpen will definitely be beneficial. Plus, I mean – it's not to say that he's fallen off, I guess, but he's not the same. Uh, Kelly Jansen, as their closer, mm-hmm. has made a lot of blown saves this this season, especially in crucial moments in the season. He's blown some saves that they can't really afford at this time. So, like you said, maybe getting Craig Kimbrell would be better than getting a starter for them because you need guys to be able to come in and shut the door and close things down. And you know, hey, there's been no, there's been almost no better closer than Craig Kimbrell this season. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's switch up things. Let's go to the NBA because Thursday evening is the NBA draft where a lot of young men's lives will change. And we got Detroit. They've pretty much been on the clock for a long time. So let's do a nice little mock draft. Uh, Corey has a mock draft. I have a mock draft. So we're going to kind of go team by team and see who we think the that team should draft. So starting with the first pick in the 2021 NBA draft, the Detroit Pistons select. Kay Cunningham. I think they're going to go Kay Cunningham for me. Um, even though like a lot of people are saying he's the consensus number one overall pick. I, I do. I mean, like with every prospect, we definitely see like there's certain things that he needs to work on and get better at. But I think the the thing that makes you excited about Cade, um, versus maybe like a Jalen Green. It's just the fact that he could be a point guard. He could be a shooting guard. He's He's got that tweener in between capability. And because he's able to uh, possess that, and I think he's a, he, he can almost be like a little bit of a positionless basketball in a way, that kind of makes him very much more, uh, very intriguing uh, in, in, in the sense. And also just the way that he carries himself and how he for Oklahoma State had so many times where he had to put the team on his back and literally uh, help them to win games and close out games. And 
whenever he got into foul trouble, like the team just was not the same when he was not on the court. So I think that was a big part of uh, why a lot of people are looking at his success and what he's done throughout his entire career as a player and why he looks like he's going to be the consensus number one overall pick. But I would just say that the things that he probably needs to work on is just, you know, being able to develop that shot a little bit more and also being able to, you know, get to the rim. I know he likes to create a lot and I know he uh, can be a facilitator a whole lot, but there's just some times where, you know, when he goes to the rim, he kind of gets a little indecisive. And then obviously, you know, all these guys uh, who are guards can always work on defense. So that's probably my little quick analysis of him. And I feel like, yeah, Detroit's going to pick him uh, number one overall. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I got Cade Cunningham going to Motor City. I think this kind of is a no-brainer. And Cade Cunningham, we're talking about him. I wouldn't say he's a generational talent. He's definitely amazing and has the potential to be a generational talent. But he's not like a lot of these analysis are, you know, kind of labeling him to be like the in the tier of like the Zions, the Anthony Davises, like that type of tier of players. But Kay Cunningham is, first of all, the fact that he's 6'8", 220 as a point guard that <laughs> in, in a game that we're playing now with positionless basketball, that is the ideal player to draft. And I think a fit with him and Killian Hayes, who definitely showed flashes towards the end of the season last year about how good he can be. I think those two can definitely be uh, a deadly backcourt to deal with. But now it's Detroit kind of building around these two and they have Jeremy Grant as well, too. So I think I might tune into some Piston games next year because it's <laughs> definitely going to be fun. Um, but yeah, I got Cade Cunningham going there. With the second pick, the Houston Rockets select. I'm going to say Jalen Green. I feel like um, Houston right now is trying to, I don't want to say figure out how to replace James Harden, but they definitely are going to need to get their guard play figured out. And if you got already Kevin Porter Jr. right now on your payroll, and if you got a guy like Jalen Green, you're hoping and praying that out of, one of these guys, you'll get a star player that you can hope can blossom into something. And I think Jalen Green with his flashiness and his offensive uh, magnitude and just the way that he's able to just, you know, create instant offense out of nothing, whether it's driving to the rim dunks, whether it's off lobs, whether it's, you know, uh, hitting the three ball. I think that that's just going to be what you're going to love to see. Again, same with Cade. I think that he needs to obviously improve on the defensive side of the ball. But I did see some good things from the film that I did see um, on him as far as some of his uh, G League film. Uh, and I think that he he's definitely maybe got a little bit of an advantage of the fact that he has played a year as a professional player. That definitely is going to go a long way in his development. And he kind of already is – not gonna it's not, you're not gonna see like that uh adaption to the nba like you know shell shock i mean it's still gonna be there but i think it's not gonna be as prominent just because of the fact that he was already playing the g league uh last season so when we look at a guy like jalen green i'm just intrigued to see like who's gonna be his first victim that he does <laughs> and who's gonna be the first guy that he catches a body on so uh, I just think that that's going to be real fun to see. And if H-Town is able to land them, man, truth, it's going to be real fun once again for uh, Houston Rockets fans to be tuning in and watching uh, Jalen Green. 
I'm going to go against the green on this one, and I'm going to say Evan Mobley. Houston takes Evan Mobley. Oh, I feel like they can't go wrong with either Jalen Green or Evan Mobley. Yeah. But I just I like I love the fit of Evan Mobley, Christian Wood, and Kevin Porter Jr. I just think that's amazing. I can go on and on about Evan Mobley, but I'll talk talk about him a little bit later. But I mean, you talk about a guy who led the entire nation in blocks and has the versatility to guard out in the perimeter has Rudy Gobert type rim protecting, uh, you know, skills. And at the same time can guard the perimeter. And then his finesse around the rim is very, very tough to come around. And then the seven footer, obviously. So I think Evan Mobley and, and a lot of people are saying, well, they got Christian Wood. They just signed him to a big deal. Yes. But both those guys can stretch the floor. So I think they can definitely coexist with one another. And then you have a guy who like Kevin Porter, who you know, has shown flashes of old James Harden. He can definitely play that pick and roll ball. So if you have two rollers in Evan Mobley and Christian Wood, I mean, Kevin Porter Jr. is going to have a field day. And then you can't even forget about John Wall. John Wall definitely last year showed flashes of that. He still has it in the tank. So that's why I got to go Evan Mobley um, to the Houston Rockets with the second pick. Number three pick, the Cleveland Cavaliers select. Now, this one was tough for me because it, I think, depends on what Cleveland is going to do with, obviously, Colin Sexton. If they decide to trade him, I think they take Jalen Suggs. If they keep Colin Sexton and don't trade him, then I feel like they're going to be looking to go with Evan Mobley here. Just because, of, like you mentioned, Evan Mobley is a good inside-outside presence. Um It'll be intriguing on whether or not they're able to coexist him with Jared Allen, who they have to make a decision on him because he's a restricted free agent. But if those two can coexist, I mean, you might be talking about a nice little defensive tandem in Cleveland. I mean, a nice one-two punch. You got Jared Allen down low and Evan Mobley, who can go inside-outside game. And he's low-key a little bit of a, a, a similar to Chris Bosch for me. Like, he's got that finesse-type game, but he also can bang down low. Don't get it twisted. So I think uh, if Cleveland's able to land Evan Mobley, that would be a nice little defensive tandem to have with both Jared Allen and uh, Mobley. They could be, you know, some uh, some pretty tall trees to have to, to go through, <laughs> especially in an Eastern Conference where, as you see, when you're placing off against, you know, a team like Giannis and the Bucks. You're going to need some guys who can be able to guard a seven-footer and got to be able to have a player like Evan Mobley on your roster for sure. Yeah. I'm going to flip-flop, and with third pick, I'm going Jalen Green to the Cleveland Cavaliers. I think if Jalen Green's taking number two and Evan Mobley is on the board, they potentially draft him, but I think they also explore to trade the pick. Yeah. Uh, and there's been a lot of rumors about Cleveland possibly moving back in the draft. So, I mean, they're trying to – stock up as much draft capital as they can and at the same time Colin Sexton is the big name that is he going to be moved is he going to stay on the team whether him and you know Darius Garland can coexist as a backcourt so I think getting to the number three pick is when it gets the most interesting because Cleveland has a lot of different ways that they can uh you know uh, do with this third pick but I have Jalen Green his scoring ability is off the charts, and we've seen him do it against professional-level uh, players. So that's already a gigantic upside for him doing doing it that way. But, I mean, I it's between Evan Mobley and Jalen Green, and I have 
Evan Mobley going to Houston. So Jalen Green is the clear cut number three for Cleveland if they don't trade the pick. With the fourth pick, the Toronto Raptors choose. I think with all this talk of, uh, you know, Kyle Lowry pretty much essentially being gone, they're definitely going to need a guard and no better guard at this point to go with than Jalen Suggs. We saw what he did in the tournament with Gonzaga and especially against UCLA hitting that big time shot to win the game. I think that was the shot that you essentially put him in the top five of the draft for me. And so uh, I think uh, when you're looking at Toronto's direction that they're going in, they're moving off of Kyle Lowry. Um, they're kind of moving off the, the final pieces of, you know, the, some of the, the key pieces that helped them win that, uh, that championship. And so uh, Kyle Lowry, I think is going to be gone and he's going to be out the door. And so you're going to need to replace him as far as like with a guard. And so, like I said, Jalen Suggs, he's versatile. He can play on the ball. He can play off the ball. He uh, can even be a good ball handler, can be a good cutter slasher type player as well. He's got good passing capability, good floater game as well. Um, I think that it's going to be intriguing to pair him up with Fred Van Fleet as a nice little backcourt, to be honest with you, especially after they committed so much money to Fred Van Fleet. Um, You got Fred Van Fleet. You got Jalen Suggs. You got – uh, oh, Ananobi. yeah, you got Siakam. So, I mean, like that, that Toronto could be in the mix next year. I mean, there's no telling how good of a team Toronto could be if they get this pick right. And I think if they go with Jalen Suggs, they're definitely going to be in the right direction. I think with the fourth pick, Jalen Suggs falling to them is a blessing for them, and especially with the talks of Kyle Lowry done with Toronto because they were already trying to shop him at the trade deadline. So you know he's definitely not coming back, but he could come back with a sign and trade. But he's out of Toronto, so I think Jalen Suggs is the no-brainer pick for Toronto in this situation. I think he could pair with Fred VanVleet very well. Jalen Suggs, at just the age of 19, his maturity of the game is what absolutely amazes me. And I mean, I don't want to, I, I don't like doing too many comparisons, but he literally reminds me of a Chris Paul, a bigger mm. Chris Paul, just with his awareness, his IQ, his passing ability, his, he's a little more athletic than Chris Paul, but also with his defensive tenacity. I, I think that's something that definitely doesn't get talked about a lot. And we saw that in March Madness in the NCAA tournament. His defense was on full display. And when he needs to put a team on his back, he will definitely do so. So that's why. Jalen Suggs going to Toronto is a blessing in disguise for Toronto. Um, and I think this is an absolute no-brainer pick for them. With the fifth pick in the draft, the Orlando Magic select. The Orlando Magic, they just had a complete fire sale. They got rid of all their star guys uh, at the deadline. Um, and so I think that they're, you know, definitely what do you mean? All their star guys, they had one star player and he was gone. (laughs) Who else is a star player on Orlando? (laughs) They do not have, (laughs) it was only Vucevic. (laughs) So I try to gas them up saying all their star players. Well, for them, it's a star player. I'm putting it in context for them. For them, it's a star player in their eyes for their for their team. No, for sure. But you said all <laughs> like they have multiple. <laughs> they haven't had multiple probably say actually, I don't even know. Dwight was a solo dolo. I'm not calling anybody else a star back in those days. I was just putting it in context for them, but they got rid of their guys at the deadline. They had a complete fire cell. They're now in the rebuilding stage. So I think they need somebody uh at the floor position. So they're gonna go with Scotty Barnes, I think. 
um, out of Florida State. And I think, you know, whether or not, like, if he goes to Toronto or if he goes to the Magic, I think Scotty Barnes is going to be a hell of a player in the NBA just because of his, like, defensive IQ and the ability to also switch. And Orlando Magic are already a long team as it is. And I feel like they already kind of have guards as it is to – at their disposal. So I feel like going with the forward here is probably their best, uh, best bet and to pair him up potentially with Jonathan Isaac could be really tough for opposing offenses. And I think that would just be difficult And the switching capabilities for them as well is going to be awesome too. So I think Scotty Barnes, um, I'm intrigued to see what he's going to be able to do offensively in the NBA, because I know already he's going to be a defensive dog, but can he bring that same sort of energy and that same sort of prowess on the offensive side of the ball? I think that's the only thing that he's going to have to be able to answer and whether or not he can live up to, you know, being the potential of uh, being the, the top five pick that Orlando's hoping we'll we'll only be able to see. I'm going to go with James Buchnight uh, for Orlando. I like Scotty Barnes. Uh, but I just think with Jonathan Isaac, yeah, they would be defensive hounds, but I think that's a huge liability on the offensive end because Jonathan Isaac isn't really known to be a scorer as well, too. So have two non-scorers late in a game is going to be tough. And then you have uh, Jonathan Isaac coming back. I believe it's from an ACL injury. And then you have Markel Fultz coming back from an ACL injury, too. So that's why I got to go with Book Knight just because – the things Book Knight could do with the ball is absolutely insane. He can create for himself. He can create for others. And his athleticism is absolutely off the charts. Um, and I think, you know, they have a guy like Markel Fultz. They have a guy like Cole Anthony. And they don't really have that number two guy. They And then obviously they have they, they have a big question mark at the center position, whether Mo Bamba, they're still trying to do the Mo Bamba project or if Wendell Carter is the answer. But I think defensively, this team will be great that they can sacrifice some defense to get J- uh, James Buchnight, who can a guy who can create offense uh, for that team and can even spot up and shoot as well, too. With the sixth pick in the NBA draft, Oklahoma City Thunder select. Now, I wouldn't be shocked at all if Sam Presley trades this uh, pick just because – you know, he's always willing to make a deal and he's always willing to, you know, shake things up. But if they end up taking the pick, then I have been going with uh, James Bonite right here because I think that would be a heck of a move to be able to pair up these two guards between him and SGA, Shea Gillis Alexander. Again, similar almost to the the, the, the same token of, of with Houston, got to be hoping that at least one of those guys could blossom into a star-studded player or at least into something that can shake up the NBA or help you be able to uh, to then move into a, a, a stage where you can get back to being competitive again as far as OKC is probably thinking. But uh, he's a good shooter uh, at UConn. He's definitely good at, you know, shot creation. And I think one of the things that – OKC is definitely going to be looking at is can't, how can we get back to where we were as a franchise when we had the likes of James Harden, Russell Westbrook, and KD. Not saying that they'll be able to have that or have anybody who can blossom into those guys, but that's what the goal is, obviously, to find at least one of those guys again. So, uh, if anybody can do that, you definitely believe that Sam Pressy can definitely find that player. And who's to say that it could not be James Bonite? 
Yeah, I mean, the duo of them two would be nice, but for OKC, I definitely, definitely could see a trade. Whether they're trading up for Cleveland's pick or whether, you know, they could be trading maybe for Ben Simmons because they have a lot of assets, all those picks. They still have Kemba Walker on their team. So actually, if they get Book Knight, that would actually be kind of funny. A UConn guy learning from the UConn legend himself, <laughs> Kemba Walker. Um, but I got OKC taking Jonathan Kaminga. Mm. Jonathan Kaminga was a very, very highly sought player coming out of high school or from Congo as well. And last time they took a guy from Congo was Serge Ibaka, and that turned out pretty well. So yes, it did. But Jonathan Kaminga, I think he struggled a lot in the G League for Ignite, but I think I think he can definitely he, he shows that he can hang with the big dogs in the NBA and his athleticism is absolutely off the charts. And he is a streaky shooter and he's shown inconsistency, but I think potential for him is sky high that if he can just get his consistency down with his offense. He, he will literally be an all-around player and a star in this league. So I think OKC, given all their picks that they do have, has the, has the leeway to take a shot on a guy like Jonathan Kaminga. With the seventh pick, the Golden State Warriors get this pick from the Minnesota Timberwolves and that Andrew Wiggins, D'Angelo Russell deal. So with the seventh pick, the Warriors take. I think they're going to go Jonathan Kaminga here. If they're able to have Jonathan Kaminga fall into their lap, I mean, this potential is sky high, like you just mentioned. And who's to say that they can't be right back in the mix competing for a championship uh, with the assets that they have on their roster? I mean, hopefully a healthy Clay, a healthy Draymond, and a healthy Steph alongside with some of these young cats uh, with Wiseman, Kaminga, uh, maybe Andrew Wiggins, depending on what we'll see. And uh, the rest, of, and seeing how the rest of the roster fills out, but ultimately, I mean, I think that that would be huge if they could have that at their disposal. Uh, a, a guy who has all the physical traits, all the physical capabilities. I think he just needs to tighten up his finesse game, get that shot down a little bit more. Because I'm not expecting him out the gate to just come out and start firing on all cylinders and shooting like a crazy high percentage. Because I don't, I just don't see that happening. Um, just based off what I've seen from him last season, I think he's going to be more of a high flyer type guy, slasher type guy. And I think that could be huge for them um, if they're trying to get back into that uh, playoff uh, picture and not have to deal with playing in the playing tournament. Yeah, that would be a hell of a fit for them. For me, I got the Warriors getting Scotty Barnes here. I think he falls into their lap and I think, the Golden State Warriors can sacrifice all the offense in the world <laughs> to get some defense just because, you know, you have guys like Curry, Clay Thompson, yeah, Andrew Wiggins, Kelly Oubre, don't know what it's going to happen to him. But, yeah, Scotty Barnes, I think, would fit in perfect with this team, um, just being a defensive hound, rim running for this team. Uh, so I like Scotty Barnes. And plus, maybe they even use him as a trade value for maybe getting Bradley Beal because they've been a lot of rumors about the Warriors maybe trying to go after a guy like Bradley Beal. So, I mean, they could definitely take Scotty Barnes because he's a hell of a player. With the eighth pick in the draft, the Orlando Magics get this pick from Chicago from their star, like Corey mentioned, trading Nikola Vucevic to the Chicago Bulls Orlando Select. I'm going to go with uh, Mo Wagner's brother, Franz Wagner. Uh, I like what I saw in him at Michigan. Um, 
definitely caught me off guard with the way he was able to shoot the ball. And I felt like he can, I don't see him being like a game changer or like, I don't see him being anybody who is going to just like um, turn into like a, like a all-star or anything like that, but he could definitely be like a nice shooter for them. And they definitely need shooters. And I think that they definitely need somebody who can, you know, space the floor because they have like a lot of similar guys on their roster. Like we were mentioning, like they have a lot of guys who kind of just take up space, but they don't really have anybody who can just launch it from deep and just be able to pull up from 30, 40 feet. And I think that's something that they can get maybe from a a guy who could be a, a nice little small forward type power forward type player in France Wagner. I got Orlando taking Moses Moody over here. Great, great. Probably one of the best 3 and D players in this draft and a very high upside on the offensive end and defensive end. Um, I think with Orlando, they, they don't they don't really have a lot of shooters that could just spot up and shoot. And I think Mo- Moses Moody is a great guy who can do that. Um, and I just think Orlando's in such a great position if they with that fifth pick, whoever they get, and this eighth pick, whoever they get, I well, then again, it is Orlando. They're the only ones that could do some stupid shit and get some <laughs> bad players. But maybe, maybe if they get it right and they get two solid players, they could package that. Because you got to remember, they have, like I mentioned, Cole Anthony, but they also have RJ Hampton. And they have a bunch of guards on this team that they could package into a trade and maybe even move up in the draft and try to get another player or, you know, try to get a big name player, maybe in like a Bradley Beal or something like that. So... Right here, I got them taking Moses Moody because I think this is the best value pick for them at the moment, and he fits that offense great. With the ninth pick in the draft, the Sacramento Kings take. Well, I feel like Moses Moody's in a very bad spot because he's either going to Orlando or he's going to Sacramento because <laughs> I haven't gone to Sacramento, unfortunately. But, hey, I mean – with the way that Tyrese Halliburton had a hell of a season last year and the way that there's been rumors that Sacramento doesn't know that they're maybe looking to shop the Aaron Fox. Maybe they look to shop him towards the, the deadline Who knows. Um, but I think that they just need somebody. <laughs> they need somebody who can be able to provide them with a spark. Not to say the Aaron Fox hasn't done that. It's just that every, it feels like, Sacramento, like there's certain teams in the NBA, you're like, God, I don't want to go there. <laughs> it's like, I hope I don't end up on them, but it's like, yo. Hey, man. they might be cooking something up. They, they did might. it right with uh, Tyrese Halliburton last year. They might, yeah. So, but it's just like certain teams, it's like, I, I don't know. But hey, maybe they, they're, they're able to figure out a way because he is, he is pretty tall. So he's able to play like shooting guard and he can even play small forward if you need him to. He was really streaky from when I saw uh, him last season at Arkansas. But uh, when he's hot, he definitely gives me, like, J.R. Smith vibes when he's hot because that dude can just knock shots down. Like, he just makes tough shot after tough shot after tough shot. He was and the reason that Arkansas made it out of the first round. They almost got upset <laughs> in the first round. Exactly. So, I mean, uh, if he has that streaky shooter capabilities, I mean, that would be big time for a Sacramento to be able to get if they're able to use him right. Yeah. I think we got our picks flip-flop because, number nine, I got the Kings taking Franz Wagner. And it's kind of crazy thinking that Mo is his brother, but they play completely opposite games. Yeah, so, because you, you normally brothers, they kind of have similar game types, obviously, because they train very similar growing up. But Franz, I mean, I think the biggest thing for him is his shooting. 
needing to get a little bit better, but he does everything else exceptionally defensively driving to the rack, you know, moving the ball, stuff like that. Rebounding as well too at six, nine. So he's got a big body to him. And I think with guys like De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton, and depending on what they do with Rashawn Holmes this off season, I think Franz Wagner is the absolute perfect fit for this Kings team to hopefully he pans out for them and Sacramento can finally get, moving in the right direction because it's been a long time I, i'm saying this from the goodness out of my heart for sacramento fans not even the organization for the fans over there in sacramento because in sacramento they don't really have too much going on over there since i think what was it in levi's levi's too they got that over there too <laughs> with the 10th pick the memphis grizzlies got this pick in the big trade of uh from new orleans and with the 10th pick memphis grizzlies are taking I think that they're going to go uh, maybe like a power forward, big man type here. And it's hard for me to decide because they got like some good options that they can go with. But I think they go Kai Jones out of Texas. Um, I think he's like hovering right within like top 10 projections. And I think he's a solid player. Um, uh, it'll be intriguing to see what they do because Memphis ha- is in a spot where they've made the play in tournament or been right near the play in tournament the past couple seasons or so they you know made the playoffs their first season last year so i mean i'm intrigued to see what they decide to do because there's some holes in their roster they need to figure out and they need to obviously get together i think they have like good guard play and good solid capabilities and they're pretty much running back the same roster that they had last year this year too so adding well, in they made young- that big trade yeah, that, yeah, that's, that's true. Be a big yeah. difference. That is true. There, there is going to be a big difference with having no Vucevic, and we'll see if they're able to. Valanciunas. I'm sorry. Why did I say Vucevic? You got me all twisted mm. up with the Orlando Magic. Nah, nah you but got Valanciunas. yourself twisted up with Valanciunas. <laughs> Valanciunas. Yeah, they traded off uh, Jonas Valanciunas, which was a big part of their offense as far as like the pick and roll play. And um, I mean, if they're able to replace him, that would be big time because I think that's going to obviously help John Moran's development, but. Who's to say that Kai Jones can also help that uh, with them as well? Memphis over here, I think they traded up for a specific reason, and that's to get Josh Giddy, the Australian. Mm. I think the wing player, he's not a great shooter, but he can do everything well. And one of the best things, most underrated things he does do is distribute the basketball. Mm. And I think he can definitely take the pressure off of guys like John Morant. And I think Jaron Jackson Jr. finally getting healthy, this season i think him spacing the floor and josh giddy's not a small guy either he's about six eight mm-hmm. so i think you know him getting to the rack and dishing it out to guys especially since they lost valentunas they got they need uh jaron jackson jr to spread the floor as much as he can so having guys like josh giddy who can get to the paint you know when uh john morant's on the bench or even when john morant they need to take pressure off of him i think uh josh giddy is definitely a guy who can help out memphis um you know, distribute the ball, get the offense flowing and not have to solely rely on uh, John Morant to run the offense. With the 11th pick, the Charlotte Hornets select. I have him going with uh, Josh Giddy here. Um, like you said, I feel like he's 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 kind of like I'm not even gonna lie. I haven't really like seen a whole lot because he does play in the NBL. Um but from what I've you know heard, uh, he is an elite shooter, like you said, and he does have good distribution of the the basketball. So 
I think that's going to be pretty good that he's going to be paired up with uh, with uh, LaMelo Ball because he's just going to be able to kick that right out to him and just be able to knock that knock that sucker down. So I think that's going to be tremendous if Charlotte's able to pick him up uh, because they were one of the best teams at, at one point last season and one of the darlings of the NBA, obviously, because of LaMelo. And, you know, obviously LaMelo got injured, Gordon Hayward got injured, and they kind of fell off. So maybe if they get, you know – some extra offensive help in there. They could be a team that's able to maybe break through and get into at least a playing tournament this year. So I guess we got our picks flip flop again. Cause I got Charlotte taking Kai Jones. Uh, I think probably the most fun fit for a guy like LaMelo ball <laughs> using what he's done with mile bridges. So why not get a bigger version of mile bridges who can play the big man role as well too. Cause as we saw last year, big man is the biggest, biggest need for the Charlotte Hornets team. And I think a guy like Kai Jones, who is six eleven, can definitely help out this team and he can stretch the floor as well too. So, I mean, you get everything with this cat. And I think LaMelo ball would love to play with a guy like uh, Kai Jones. Moving on to the 12th pick, the San Antonio Spurs select. I'm going to try and say this name. Alperin Sengun. Sengun. I think that's how you say it. Cause I got him right there too. In the <laughs> number 12. And just, just because of the fact, I feel like uh, they're definitely going to be looking to get some big man help in the Spurs. Uh, and then also I, I, I think that this could also be a, another one of those guys who could be potentially a steal in this year's draft if he's able to fall to the San Antonio Spurs just because of uh, his physical capabilities. And, you know, Spurs are one of those teams who would not mind taking a guy, a foreign player, a, a guy who's like 6'9", could play forward or center type and could really be a, a tweener for them, could play outside, could play inside. And that could be a really good spot for him to land, I think, with Greg Popovich and the Spurs. Yeah. I mean, we've seen San Antonio do a great job with developing their young guys in Keldon Johnson. And I think they go with Alperin Sangoon. And he's the youngest guy in this draft. And at 18 years old, 240 pounds and it is insane what he did in the turkish league winning himself the mvp at the age of 18 so he's going up against the big dogs over there in turkey and he was able to win mvp he was able to hold his own so i think coming to uh the nba i think san antonio would love a guy like him especially since i think they're possibly looking to move on from some of their core guys like DeJounte Murray, uh, Lonnie Walker, and per, uh, possibly Yaka Pertl as well, too. So that's why I think Sengun could definitely fit right in with this team as the big man dominant presence down low. Moving on to Indiana with the 13th pick, the Pacers select. I'm going to go Davion Mitchell here out of Baylor. Davion Mitchell had a hell of a... A tournament in a tournament run for the Baylor Bears and I think he gets rewarded with the 13th pick going to the Indiana Pacers who Indiana man they kind of you know ran into a little bit of a wall there uh, toward the end of the season and obviously the injuries didn't help them uh, to some of their key players but they're going to be coming back and they're going to be hoping and praying that they're good enough to not have to go through the playing tournament and just, you know, make the playoffs this year. And I think uh, a player being able to come off the bench, uh, potentially in Davion Mitchell is going to be a huge, huge, huge asset for them to be able to get. 
for me, I got the Pacers taking Keon Johnson uh, out of Tennessee. He could play the two, he could play the three, and his athleticism is through the roof. But honestly, for me, that's about it for him. Uh, we saw in his pre-draft, uh, you know, combine and his workouts and stuff, he really struggled with his jumper and he struggled with uh, his ball handling drills as well, too. So I think the Pacers are definitely a team that can utilize his athleticism and utilize uh, his defensive uh, capabilities, especially since I think Miles Turner might be on his way out by a trade. So, you know, pair him maybe next to and help a guy like DeMontis Sabonis and Malcolm Brogdon, TJ McCollum, or, or uh, and, and plus they have TJ Warren coming back as well too. So shooting is not really a problem for this Pacers team when they're surrounded by shooters, Doug McDermott too as well. So I think Keon Johnson, they can definitely sacrifice some offense to get a guy with his type of athleticism in his type of defense. With the 14th pick and the last pick of our lottery mock draft, the Golden State Warriors select Chris Duarte out of Oregon, who I feel like, again, would be a big time player for them to also be able to add onto their uh, roster. Um, Golden State Warriors, like you mentioned, they're still trying to figure out what they're going to be. Obviously, we're all, you know, hoping that they come back healthy this year and be able to be that same Golden State that was competing for championships. Obviously, won't be the exact same team uh, that was competing for championships a couple seasons ago. But I think that they're going to be a, a team that's looking to get back into that playoff mix. And they're hoping that you know, getting a player like Chris Duarte off the bench could definitely help them out. Yeah, for the Warriors, I got them going the old route as well and the most NBA ready like Chris Duarte. But I got them going Davion Mitchell. Mm. If they can get in my mock draft, what I have them getting Scotty Barnes and Davion Mitchell, that might be the <laughs> biggest W for the Warriors <laughs> because Davion Mitchell, he has the capabilities to play defense. We saw in the March Madness tournament of those like Danny Green. And then he also has the offensive upside of his cousin, Donovan Mitchell. So yeah. uh, we, we've seen spurts of him. And I think imagine him learning under a guy like Steph Curry and Klay Thompson he can do wonders for this team. And I think the reason why he's kind of fallen in a lot of mock drafts and he may even fall in the draft is because of his age, him being 22 years old. Right. If he was two years younger, I could definitely see him going top seven without a doubt, just because of his performance that he put on in the championship game and throughout the entire NCAA tournament. So that is our mock draft draft. Let us know what you guys think. If you guys agree, disagree, shoot us on our social medias, but let's talk about the draft in general. Let's talk about some of the most underrated and overrated prospects. Who is your number one underrated prospect in the draft? Underrated. Um, just based off of his age and maybe potential capabilities. That dude, Zaire Williams, out of Stanford, is low-key. You know, he's heading towards the end of the first round, maybe hovering top second round. But I think if he's able to to land uh, in it with, like, a team, like, that's already playoff ready, like Knicks, you know, Hawks, like a team that made the playoffs last year that uh, is looking to make the playoffs again this year, that would be huge for them, especially Atlanta. If they were able to get him – I think that would be a, another big time player that they could add already to a, a bunch of, you know, young sprite players that they already are uh, got on their roster. 
Yeah, Zaire Williams for me, I think has tremendous upsides, but he's just very raw. I think yeah. a lot of he has a lot of polishing to do, and you know, not a lot of teams can waste a top pick on a guy who's still very raw. So definitely could see you know maybe a team like OKC who has the luxury to wait a couple of years uh, for a guy like him. For me, I got to go with Kai Jones. He is. I, I don't know. I just, he's insane. A lot of mock drafts I've been actually looking at has him going around the 20th pick, but I think he has the upside of a top 10 pick. A great defender, amazing defender, great rim runner. Reminds me a lot of guys like when DeAndre Jordan was with Lob City, literally just take off. And he is fast too for being 6'11, mm. very athletic. And he can be crafty in the post and has shown potential to knock down a jumper. My Two NBA comparisons to him is John Collins and uh, Josh Smith. Those two guys I like uh, are like Kai Jones. A little more of jo- uh, John Collins just because of his athleticism and, uh, you know, John Collins is more of a pick and roll type of guy. But I have him going 11th in the draft to Charlotte because they're in need of a versatile big man who can do it on both ends of the court. And I think Kai Jones is the perfect guy for the Charlotte Hornets. Most overrated prospect in the draft. Who do you have? This is always tough for me just because it's like, uh, it's kind of just based off like, I think who the media are more so talking about and who they're not talking about. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say overrated, but I just need to probably see a little bit more out of him. Um, and I know I even like have him going, you know, top uh, in, in, in one of the top picks. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I could definitely see Scotty Barnes falling a little bit. I know I haven't projected to go high, but I can definitely see him falling just because his offensive game is not fully polished. And, you know, a lot of NBA, you know, teams are going to be looking for more so offense, but you can always, you know, defense is a, is a key thing in the game, obviously. But I think if your offensive game is just as, if not better than a guy who's got the same defensive capabilities, then I think they're probably going to go more. So the offensive route than the defensive player route, but that's just, that's just what I'm um, I'm going off of. Offense is very important in today's NBA. So yeah, I could definitely see that. And that's why my guy is Keon Johnson because mm. he is an incredible athlete. Like I mentioned, a versatile defender, but his offensive game can use a lot, a lot of work. He can't really create his own shot. He's mediocre at finishing at the rim, sometimes even tries to avoid contact at the rim. And shooting from deep, he only shot 26% from the three-point line last season. So, And I've seen a lot of mock drafts have him up in the top 10 pick. But I think what's really selling his draft stock is his athleticism and his versatility on defense, which are great for a wing player that you need. But in today's game, you need – uh, if, if you struggle with your offense, you're kind of going to lose a lot of minutes and you're not going to be on the court for a long period of time, maybe even in the league for a long period of time. So, I mean, we've seen the likes of Robert Covington. He was a great defender, but ended up getting that three-point jump shot and look at how many teams are salivating and getting a guy like <laughs> Robert Covington. So maybe he can turn things around with the athleticism and his uh, defense, you know, turning that into an offensive game as well too. So we'll see. Quick before we go, just want to ask, what are you hoping that your team, the Clippers, does in this draft? Oh, see, it's kind of tough because there's a good amount of it, it's tough at 25. But for me, I think we definitely need a point guard, a point guard or a backup center. So if we can get, you know, maybe a guy like Deron Sharp from North Carolina, a young, big man, it also depends with what happens with, um, 
uh, with Serge Ibaka if he picks mm. up his player option or not. So it's kind of it, it's kind of a tough situation. But I think the best way to go is probably point guard, getting a guy off the bench who can uh, score and produce. So maybe even a Trey Mann. I mean, we got Terrence Mann, even though they're not even related. <laughs> but maybe a guy like Trey Mann who can come off the bench and, you know, can definitely score because he was scoring in about the 20s in college at, uh, at Florida. So we'll see. But yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of players that I want the Clippers to take, but it's I don't know. I feel like this is just a very, very, very top heavy draft, like yeah, top and lottery heavy draft where those guys there's a big drop off in my opinion. But mm-hmm. so we'll see. Let's talk about the prospects that we're most excited to watch enter into the NBA. Who was your prospect that you were most excited to watch? I think. The guy who I'm most excited to watch is definitely Jalen Green, just because he's an instant highlight reel. And he's somebody who ever since, you know, he's touched a basketball has been one of the most athletic dudes on the court. So I think that's number one, I would have to say. Evan Mobley is probably number two, just because, like I said, that Chris Bosch uh, potential definitely intrigues me. And maybe even, you know, he could be more versatile than Chris Bosch was because, he can play like a legitimate center. He could also play power forward too. So he can uh, do both and also hit knockdown threes. Uh, and then lastly, I would probably say maybe somebody outside of the top that I'm interested in seeing. I want to go with uh, Trey Mann. Yeah. Like you said, I think Trey Mann definitely can light you up. And I think if he falls to any of those teams that were in the playoffs and are contender, like, if he goes to like Brooklyn or Philly or the Suns, like that would just be big time to have that to be able to come off the bench and help off a, a, a already you know contending team be able to do wonders. That that would be tremendous. Yeah, for me, I gotta go with Evan Mobley. He is my favorite prospect in this year's draft, and I believe has huge, huge upside. Uh, Chris Bosch, I like that comparison, but for me, he kind of reminds me of Anthony Davis, mm. and I don't want to put him on the pedestal of Anthony <laughs> Davis, which, which or, is or 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 give him the the glass the yeah. glassness of Anthony Davis either. Right, but I mean, he's an amazing defender, elite rim protector, and he's already right. seven feet tall at the age of nineteen, and he can guard the perimeter. He's a great perimeter defender and has very nice touch around the rim and has the ability to get jumpers like. I think if he keeps working on his jump shot, he can definitely be a threat on the outside as well, too, like Anthony Davis is. And my only knock against him, though, is that he is 210 pounds. Like that is way too he's that's way too small to be a seven footer in the NBA. So he's definitely going to have to work on his frame um, because that's not going to cut it as a center. Heck, even a power forward in the league today. So that's definitely something he's going to have to work on. But I think everything outside of that, he's got it down pat. And I'm excited to see what he can do. And whether that's on the Rockets, whether that's on Cleveland, whether it's on another team, it will be fun to watch him. And the last but not least, which team, if any, are going to make a big trade before or during the draft? I can definitely see OKC being that team because, like we said, they got plenty of draft capital to be able to go after or move up or down uh, in this year's draft or to be able to even flip, you know, maybe like a Kemba Walker or something like that or uh, whatever the case may be, depending on whatever Sam Pressy wants to do. Like, that's the thing that you have to always keep in the back of your mind that they already have so many draft picks at their disposal that who's to say that they can just use their draft capital to just boom, try and 
get a star player or get a, a potential star player either in this draft or uh, already in the league right now. So, I mean, that that would be something that I would definitely look out for. Yeah, I think something could be surrounding the Ben Simmons trade because it just came out in use on – Wednesday that they're ready to move on him and his agent Rich Paul clutch sports they're ready to move on from the Sixers so could maybe they said that or maybe Philly kind of leaked that maybe to them because they they want they're trying to get more capital kind of like what the Packers did with Aaron Rodgers Uh, they leaked it right at the the draft time maybe um but okay see even getting a guy like Ben Simmons, I think that's definitely a possibility. They have the six pick, they have 16, they have 18, they have Kemba Walker, they have ample future picks. So they have a lot of assets at their uh, disposal. So Joel Embiid and Kemba Walker. Yeesh, that would be scary. And Tobias Harris and Matisse Thibel. <laughs> yeah, that would be an interesting, interesting combo. Um, but yeah, so maybe they make a trade, maybe Cleveland trades back because that's been rumored as well, too. Maybe we have a crazy surprising team that is in even in the lottery trade up to number three. I don't know how they would do that because it would take a lot, but maybe that happens as well, too. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Nosebleeds. Appreciate y'all listening. As always, make sure you guys, if you guys are listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, Apple Podcasts to be specific, shoot us that five-star rating if you like what you heard. Uh, Write a review if you're feeling generous. Check us out on social media because if you're not following us, I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> on Twitter at the underscore Nosebleeds. That's K-N-O-W-S Bleeds on Instagram, the Nosebleeds. And on Facebook, look up the Nosebleed Podcast. Corey, any last words before it all goes down in the NBA draft or even for the second half of the MLB season? I'm just excited to see what's going to happen for uh, as we head into September, as we head into August and get ready for the end of summer and get ready for the second half of the season for MLB. I'm excited to see which team is going to use their their uh, second half of the season to be able to you know take that next step which no name team or team that's not in the playoff picture is going to get into the playoff picture and then with the nba draft i'm just excited to see like which guy who is really not on the radar as heavily as some of the top tier names is going to you know be like that kyle kuzma or be like that draymond green that guy that nobody really expected maybe even a Giannis Antetokounmpo maybe somebody comes and just shocks everybody just comes out of nowhere and just becomes you know a big time star in the NBA and that would be just you know exciting to be able to see that happen for whoever decides to be that young man it will be interesting and fun to watch and I think next time we have an episode we might be talking about free agency and any big signings so that's going to be starting up i believe august 4th or august august 4th i think is when moratorium starts august 6th is when they could start signing so it's gonna be fun the nba never stops it's always on the clock baby well and that we'll catch y'all next time deuces